the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Antithesis. My name is Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. In Matthew twenty-two twenty-one, Jesus says this, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. With this stunning declaration, Jesus indicates that there are things that are Caesar's and things that are God's. And so this means, if you want to extrapolate here, that Caesar has a certain jurisdiction and God has a certain jurisdiction. Now, in saying this, Jesus Christ does not mean that Caesar is half ruler of the cosmos and God is half ruler of the cosmos. That would be an inappropriate conclusion for us and for the first century hearers of Jesus. But what Jesus does mean is that there is a certain, again, jurisdiction or sphere of influence, even sphere of sovereignty, if you want to use that term, that applies to government and that applies to the worship of God. God, of course, is over all things. But God has delegated earthly authorities to, in a common grace sense, order life on this planet. One of the best theologians in thinking this through was Abraham Kuyper, the great Dutch theologian. He gave an address at the inauguration of the Free University of Amsterdam in October 1880. Uh, 141 years ago. Strong math being done here on the podcast already. And that address was called Sphere Sovereignty. Many uh, many folks have asked me after a few podcasts I have done about mask mandates and vaccine mandates, both of which I have opposed, what uh, they should look to in the Christian tradition for guidance on these matters. How do Christians think about governmental authority over against divine authority and a host of other questions and matters that we are confronting today in 2021 with, in many countries, including America, governments that are taking rights that at some level we sense they do not have, taking jurisdiction, if you want to use that phrase again, that we innately sense many of us government does not have from God. How should you think through these matters? Who do you go to? One of the best thinkers on this subject, as I said, is Abraham Kuyper. And Kuyper, in his address, Sphere Sovereignty, first establishes for our purposes the sovereignty of Christ. Let me quote him at length on this and the second count. The sovereignty of Christ from Kuyper. Here then is absolute sovereignty, dominating all visible and invisible things all that is both spiritual and material, all placed in the hands of one man. Not one of the kingdoms, Kuiper says, but the absolute kingdom. To be king, for that purpose I was born, and for that purpose I came into the world. He's quoting Christ here and in the next two lines. All power in heaven and on earth is mine. One day all enemies shall be subdued unto me, Jesus says 
and all knees shall bow before me. And here's Kuiper's, Kuiper's gloss on this. That is the sovereignty of the Messiah, which the prophet once foretold, which the Nazarene claimed, which he initially demonstrated in the performance of miracles, which is described by his apostles, and which the Church of Christ confesses on the authority of the apostles, undivided but delegated, or rather assumed to be returned eventually. The first point in understanding sovereignty and jurisdiction in this world is to understand as a Christian from the scripture, from the gospels in particular and other texts, that God has absolute sovereignty and the Father has delegated absolute sovereignty to Christ. The Father has given the Son a name that is above every name. For the Son accomplished the appointed task of redemption and now sits on high at the Father's right hand. So Jesus is the true sovereign in the cosmos. Jesus is the one who came, lived a perfect life, died for our sins, rose for our vindication, and has ascended to the Father's right hand. And what this means is that Jesus is the sovereign King of Kings. Jesus is Lord of Lords. Jesus is Alpha and Omega. So already here, we have staked out some very strong theological ground, haven't we? Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is the king. No other king is on par with Jesus. No other king comes close to the kingship of, of Jesus. No earthly ruler, political or otherwise, can at all come within 10,000 miles of the greatness, grandeur, and majesty of Jesus Christ. Appointed to this role by the Father, Jesus has obeyed the Father's will, and Jesus reigns in glory. And in his second coming, as Kuiper alluded to, Jesus will show, uh, beyond all shadow of a doubt, that he is the sovereign. He will bring all things to their appropriate end. We are awaiting that day, that last day, even now. But Kuiper does not stop there in this address, Sphere Sovereignty. And I would very much encourage you to go online after you listen to this podcast. Of course, you would never do this while listening to the podcast and Google Sphere Sovereignty Abraham Kuiper and listen to this, or excuse me, read this address and it will profit you greatly, you and your loved ones. The second major point made in this address by Kuiper in 1880 was this, God has appointed everything to its proper end. What a beautiful truth to confess. The world is not chaos. It is not formless. God has structured and ordered the world. God is sovereign over the world. And through the Son, there is structure and order and rulership being exercised at every moment. So Kuiper goes on to detail uh, what now he's going to call sphere sovereignty. And I will quote him again at length. Behold now the glorious freedom idea that perfect and absolute sovereignty of the sinless Messiah at the same time contains the direct denial and challenge of all absolute sovereignty on earth and sinful man. So Kuiper is saying this, interrupting uh, him for just a moment. Sorry, Dr. Kuiper. There is no other absolute sovereignty on earth. No sinful man can claim absolute sovereignty. Hilariously and humorously, sinful man will claim absolute sovereignty in one form or another, whether cagily or directly. The Roman emperors, for example, just about 20 centuries ago, uh, thought that they were gods, claimed that they were divine. So that would be one illustration of this tendency on the part of very powerful, sinful men. Kuiper goes on to say, there is a division of life into spheres, each with its own sovereignty. 
He says, it is so structured that the individual exists only in groups and the whole can reveal itself only in those groups. One may refer to the parts of this one great instrument as wheels, spring-driven on their own axles or call them spheres, there's the key term for our purposes, each filled with its own exciting life spirit. Now, what does he mean? Kuiper is saying this, to pause the broadcast again just for a moment. He is saying you can't understand individual life, ironically, until you understand all the different spheres that God has created and placed and allowed to exist in our world. So you and I are not made to belong only to our own autonomous category, doing whatever we see fit, making it up as we go. That is absolutely a 21st century way to think about the human person. We think that we are driven by our own desires, our own concerns. We shape our own identity and thus our own life. And everybody is required to affirm us basically in our sovereignty, our individual sovereignty. And there aren't institutions or groups or spheres that give our life meaning, at least not necessarily so. We may choose out of our identity to associate ourselves with others, but our identity is self-driven and self-formed. By contrast, for Kuiper and anyone who is sourcing human identity from Scripture— we actually derive meaning and joy from numerous parts of this world, what we call creation order in theological circles. And this means that there are different dimensions of life that God has placed here in order that we would glorify him and know him and taste some of the delight, really, that he wants us to experience as created beings. Of course, the fall has corrupted this. The fall means that we do not use our humanity, our gifts, our abilities to the glory of God. And yet, in God's common grace, the fall did not obliterate uh, these spheres. The fall did not take away even common grace. By the way, that is a very important point for you to confess as a Christian. And Baptists, for example, do not always have a strong doctrine of common grace. I speak, of course, as a Baptist, a Reformed Baptist. And so I want to be very clear that we need a strong understanding of common grace. It's not just special grace. Special grace is paramount. It matters most. But it's not the only form of grace it's not the only inflection of grace in this world. There is what we call common grace that is actually very significant and interacts with our daily lives a great deal. What are the spheres, though, you may be wondering? What are the spheres? Well, there's much to say. Uh, I'm just going to quote part of what Kuiper says here. Even as one speaks of a moral world, a scientific world, a world of commerce, and a world of art, so one might speak with even more justification of a circle of the moral He's talking about spheres, a circle of the domestic, a circle of the social life, each with its own domain. And because each constitutes its own domain with its own sovereign within the limits of that domain, he means this, glossing on Kuiper again. He means that these spheres each have their own bounded circle, and so they have a domain, that is, and there is an authority within that domain that we rightly recognize, that we should not rebel against, we should understand, has been appointed by God. Let's continue with him. This is my last quotation from him, and then I will give you some, some thoughts and takeaways for you as per the antithesis in common form. Kuiper. The family, the business, science, art, government, and so forth are all social spheres which do not owe their existence to the state and which do not derive the law of their life 
from the superiority of the state, but obey a high authority within their own bosom, an authority which rules by the grace of God just as the sovereignty of the state does. Let me repeat that. I added in government. Let let me repeat the first line there. The family, the business, science, art, and so forth are all social spheres. They don't owe their existence to the state, and they don't have what he calls the law of their life from the state. What he means as just one example is this. The family doesn't have its charter from the state. The family wasn't created by the state. The state might think that. The state might operate that way today or in past uh, generations or in future generations. But it is not appropriate, Kuiper is arguing, and I agree with him here, to conclude from Scripture that the family derives its existence from the state. In other words, the state rules the family. The family is is subject to the whims of the state. No, Kuiper is saying the family is constituted by God. God created the family, in fact, what we call the natural family. Never use the term nuclear family. That's a bad, gross term. What's nuclear about it? There's no plutonium in it. No, we use the term natural family or biblical family. God made that before he made any other institution. Marriage is the institution that allows for all the other institutions, including, of course, in the new covenantal sense, the church. All this, though, goes back to Genesis 2, the family. The family is made by God, and thus the family has its own, and the terms here sound a little bit uh, old-fashioned, has its own law of life. He means it has its own sphere of influence. It has its own jurisdiction. I'll bring that word back in here. The family doesn't have to petition the state. You don't write to your state senators or representatives or U.S. senators, whatever they may be, the governor, and say, um, do I have your permission to have another child? Now, of course, some of you will think, as I say that, about uh, countries where the, the state has intruded into the family's life, like the one-child policy of China, for example, a terrible, abhorrent policy. That is an example of uh, a, a nation uh, ruling the family in a way that it is not called to do. The family is appointed by God. The family is created by God. It is not created by the Chinese government, the American government, the Hungarian government, or any government. So what this means in more practical form is that a crucial part of biblical public theology, a lot of what we do on this podcast and a lot of what I do in my day-to-day vocational work, is that we recognize divinely appointed spheres. That's Kuiper's term. Or if you want to use a parallel term that I've already been sprinkling into the mix here, like cranberries and oatmeal, jurisdiction. There are spheres in this world. And in those spheres, there is an appropriate jurisdiction. It's not an absolute sovereignty. Remember that? Only God has absolute sovereignty. So a father is appointed the head of the home. I'll talk about this more in just a moment. It doesn't mean that a father like me, I'm the father of three precious children, is on par with God. No, I'm a created authority. God is an uncreated authority. I am a creature God is the creator. So my authority is real authority. It matters. It's very significant. Honestly, it's a tremendous stewardship that I must must work out with fear and trembling in my life, with humility, with repentance. But it is nonetheless an important authority, even as it is a bounded authority, bounded because it is creaturely. 
Any authority we obey on this earth is because of God. It's not because of that authority. The state is not sovereign. But we are called, Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, and other texts, we are called to submit to the government, submit to the state, submit to Caesar. Well, we should. That is our undertaking. We give great attention to that. We try to do that as Christians. Our submission to civil authority matters greatly at various levels, from the communal all the way up to the federal in terms of an American system. But we have to recognize here, once again, that governmental authority, Caesar's authority, if you will, going back to Matthew twenty-two twenty-one, which I began the podcast with, is a bounded authority. Now, it's an expansive authority. It's a significant authority, civil authority. But it is nonetheless a bounded authority. Basically, to give you the heart of this episode in a very brief statement, I think Kuiper is right. I think Kuiper is right that there are spheres in this world. I don't go with him to the fullest extent, by the way, in terms of this address, Sphere Sovereignty, and in terms of his lectures uh, in Calvinism, which is uh, the book that I would really commend to you to think through this further beyond his address, Lectures in Calvinism. Uh, He gave that at Princeton in 1898. You can find it quickly on the internet. It's not a long book, actually, and I would very much encourage you to read it. By the way, I don't encourage you to read only books that I agree perfectly in every particular with. I think you should read widely. I think that's part of being a, uh, a thoughtful Christian, a charitable Christian, learning from different voices, even as we do so carefully. But I would say this, Kuiper believes that there is a sphere of art. There's a sphere of science. I'm open to his case. I'm not close to it. I don't think it's ridiculous, but I do think that uh, I'm more convinced, for example, that there is an appropriate sphere and jurisdiction of the family than I am that there is a kind of sphere and jurisdiction of the art world. So I believe in art. I believe in aesthetics because our God is not only uh, one who makes beauty, but is beauty itself. But I want to be careful about creating uh, spheres that are not necessarily lined out in the word of God. The word of God is my authority. The word of God drives all this conversation about uh, sphere sovereignty and jurisdiction. Let me then uh, walk you through five spheres that I think matter for us. I'm not going to tell you that there is an art curator who is an appointed authority, although I would recognize, uh, at least in in certain senses, uh, those who judge aesthetics rightly from a biblical and, dare I say, traditional worldview. But no, I'm most focused on what the scripture clearly lines out here in terms of divinely appointed spheres and then jurisdictional authority within those spheres. So let's do this in a five-fold sense. First, as I have alluded to, fathers are heads of their home. This is all underneath the absolute sovereignty of Christ, who has been appointed to rule the cosmos by God the Father. Fathers are heads of their home. You see this in 1 Corinthians 11 and Ephesians 5. I'm not going to go into texts expositorily on this podcast. I'm trying to give you the principle at hand. So I can't rule your home. If you're listening to this and you're a father, uh, and, I, and we're members of uh, the same local church, I'm at Grace Bible Church here in Conway, Arkansas, an exploding local church, by the way, then I can speak into or try to your uh, fatherliness. Uh, I can try to shape that. You can try to shape mine. And if I violate the headship of my home in a sinful, unbiblical way, then the elders of the church, we'll talk about more their authority in a minute, will be forced to step in in different forms and different ways. But no one else has been appointed head of my wife and head of my home. 
I alone am head of my wife and head of my home by extension. So I have jurisdiction in my family. I can't tell you uh, what food you should be eating on a weekly basis. I can't mandate uh, when your kids uh, go to swimming lessons. I'm not in charge of that. You are in charge of that. So I have a rightly understood and appointed headship in my home. I am the authority in my home. Now, this doesn't mean, of course, that I rule my home uh, like Genghis Khan or something like this. I rule my home. I I lead my home in a Christian way. I I lead it in a Christ-like way. I try to die to myself uh, in order that uh, the, the ones under my leadership, my authority would be richly blessed. So I'm constantly seeking to put their interests above my own. This doesn't end up translating into some kind of servant leadership that is no leadership at all, a bad form of it, but it does mean that uh, Christian headship and uh, Christian fatherly authority is very much shaped and defined by Scripture and by the person of Christ, and that matters tremendously. I'm the head of my home, though. You're not the head of my home. So no one else has the right, appointed by God, to speak into and mandate and norm our family life, again, accepting uh, moral considerations where, where I'm failing in this role, for example. The government does not tell me how to run my home. The government does not set rules as to when my kids can go outside and play. The government does not tell us what books we should be reading for fun or tell us how much HGTV we can watch on a weekly basis. For some of you, that'll be a lot. <laughs> for the strands, it's a fair amount sometimes. Like HGTV. Uh, I digress. Fathers are heads of their home. Second, citizens have their own home and possessions. Citizens have their own home and possessions. This will surprise some of us. We may have heard that there's no such thing as citizenship. Many Christians don't have at all a meaningful understanding of citizenship, and that's part of why we are in the confusion we are in. It's rarely preached on, rarely talked about, rarely taught about. But in Exodus 20, the Eighth Commandment, for example, teaches us that we shall not steal. Thou shalt not steal. Well, that's very significant, isn't it? It means two things, really. Explicitly, don't steal. And implicitly, it means your neighbor's property is not your own, which teaches us that there's such a thing properly framed as what you could call property rights. Uh, You own your stuff. Nobody else has jurisdiction over your home and your possessions. There are some sticky matters in terms of right away, in terms of the government wanting to... uh, build a new road on your property. We can talk about some of the uh, exceptions and nuances and qualifications and hard questions and gray areas that confront us in this area and others. They're real. They exist. We're not waving a hand at them. What we're trying to do, though, before we get to the hard questions and the gray areas, is we're trying to line out what is clear. You, you, you move and you reason as a Christian in biblical terms, from the clear to the less clear. And sometimes when you try to teach on these things today, you'll immediately get a hand up so to speak, and people will immediately raise uh, the kind of gray area or the hard question for you. That's not a bad thing. We're not scared of that. We want to address that as best we can. Theologians like me, imperfect as we are, want to try to handle those considerations. But what you need to do first in any classroom, when you are being taught, when you're being preached to, is you need to understand the principle. You need to understand the clear first. You need to give the teacher time to work that through and establish it in order that you can reason from the clear to the less clear. And the clear is that you shall not steal, which means that citizens have their own home and their own possessions, and they have jurisdictional authority, to use that term, in their home. I can't go into your house 
per the word of God, and take the stuff that I want. You can't come into mine and do that, nor should the state do that. Unless there is a moral failing, a breaking of the law, something like this, and then there's, in America, an appropriate search warrant and these sorts of things, at least in certain contexts, uh, gotten uh, from uh, civil authority, then you can't, and the government can't, just come in and take what it wants. You see, the scripture teaches about these things, and the scripture's teaching matters tremendously. You having your own home and possessions means you should not be stolen from, and you cannot steal what others have. There's a lot there. There's a lot more than I can treat even on this podcast. Third, elders have authority to lead their own congregations. Hebrews 13, 17 indicates that we should submit to our elders. We should understand submission here in the ecclesial sense, the churchly sense, as expansive, as significant, but bounded. Expansive, significant, but bounded. Authorities uh, in the church are placed there by God. So elders have God-given jurisdiction in a local congregation, not other people's congregations. (laughs) Here you're telling Uh, If you're listening carefully, you can pick up that I am a Baptist. I am a very convinced Baptist and a very convinced Congregationalist. I teach at a seminary, Grace Bible Theological Seminary, where I train students in this kind of polity. And honestly, it matters tremendously. I don't have authority if I'm an elder to speak into a different congregation's life. I can't, I, I can't, I can't speak into the life of the membership and lead spiritually the way I can and must in my own congregation. Elders have authority to lead their own churches. I can, I can address something happening in a church uh, in California or Seattle. Uh, I can be called upon to give thoughts about the church's life and that sort of thing, wisdom and advice and counsel. We all need that from, from others, absolutely. But I don't have, I don't have God-given delegated authority, jurisdiction, to lead any church but my own if God has made me an elder in a local church. Fourth, employers oversee their employees. We think of Ephesians 6, 5 here. Bond servants, obey, or slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Now here again, in terms of submitting to authority, you're not going to follow any earthly authority into sin. Never do that. Don't even think about it. But fundamentally, You are striving, as I said earlier, to submit to that authority as much as you possibly can, unless that authority is leading you into sin or is compromising your conscience, is uh, mandating areas of your life that are conscience areas. In other words, um, telling you to do something that is not directly addressed by the word of God and that is outside of the jurisdiction of that authority. So I have employers in my life that I'm responsible to. You do too. Probably most of us have one employer, at least those of us who are called to provide. And so we need to do the best job we possibly can under that employer. And we're not responsible to other employers. The word of God would have us understand that this earthly master, so to speak, is the one we are called to obey to the fullest possible extent. Not an unbounded submission, but an expansive and significant submission, as I have said. Fifth and finally, government, per the word of God, bears the sword 
and culls taxes from the populace. Government bears the sword is a terror to evildoers in Romans 13, 1 through 7. We see this taught and then draws taxes. We see that in Matthew 22, 21. And by extension, turning that around and, and squeezing the orange for the implicit teaching and tax uh, 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 gathering, we would understand that the government sets up infrastructure and public works and these sorts of things and has a police force, uh, the, these kind of matters. So there is an appropriate form of government that should be built in a society out of common grace and that Christians can support. So government has jurisdiction to bear the sword, to raise taxes, and to build uh, the public infrastructure of a society. But note this, that is not an unbounded authority. That is a delimited authority. There are going to be instances when government goes beyond, even well beyond, its biblical remit, its biblical sphere. And that puts us into some gray areas and some hard questions. That means that we're going to need to think about, as we have talked about on past episodes, Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. And we're going to need to think through Esther and Daniel and other biblical figures who, yes, in some cases were called to sin by the state. In other cases, were called uh, to compromise their conscience. Daniel, for example, uh, as a book, does not indicate that uh, Daniel was necessarily wrong to uh, partake of the cuisine of the empire he was in, but he chose not to do so. Obviously, that's not an ideal scenario, but he chose not to do so, and God blessed him resisting governmental authority in that case. You think about Herod and the wise men in Matthew 2. Uh, the wise men were called by Herod to tell him uh, where this messianic child was born. Did the wise men obey? No, they did not. They did not submit to Herod and return to him and give him the news that he wanted. You can look this up in Matthew 2 if you would like to do so. Instead, actually, God himself, it, it seems quite clear in Matthew's account, gives them a dream and warns them not to go back to Herod. So what does, what does, what does the divine do? The divine causes them not to submit to the decree of, of Herod, which was not on its face a sinful decree. There is much more to think through here. Many churches are not even having these conversations in a meaningful way. In some cases, uh, they are simply assuming that they should submit to everything that is not expressly sinful. In other cases, there is just kind of a, an unreflective kickback against governmental authority. Neither posture, neither position is ideal. Neither posture or position is strongly biblical. What we need to do is, is put our brains together and think through these things uh, from a, a textual vantage point. I need to wrap up. I want to wrap up. Uh, hopefully, you now have uh, at least received a tiny bit of illumination or something to think through in terms of sphere sovereignty, as Kuiper called it, what we could call jurisdiction. It's a broader conversation, but fundamentally, I want you to know that there is more to say with regard to the Christian's role in a society than just submit to Caesar and love your neighbor. There is a lot more to think through, and I believe firmly and unflinchingly that God has given jurisdiction to different authorities in different contexts. Those authorities can compromise their jurisdiction. That is true. And that plunges us, again, into gray areas and hard questions. 
But what we need to do first is work from the clear to the less clear. And if we do so, we will understand in aggregate form to apply this in one specific direction that has been in the news and in many Christian conversations in the last year and a half, that the church is absolutely essential. The church's jurisdiction comes from God. Caesar does not constitute the church. This does not render the church uh, a rebellious body in essence, in terms of its practice. The church is not called to go picking a fight uh, every other day with government for no good reason. Like Christians individually, local churches are called to do all they can to submit to Caesar, to honor the emperor. But there are going to be instances where Caesar overreaches and tries to rule the worship of the church. And we must be clear here, Caesar has no jurisdiction to do so. Render to God the things that are God's. Those things, namely, worship, the gathered worship of the flock of Christ, is not normed, mandated, and overseen by Caesar. Caesar did not die for the church. Caesar did not bleed for God's people. Caesar is a constituted authority, but Christ rules the church. Christ rules worship. Christ has called the church to gather for worship. Are there hard questions we face in times of extreme war or plague, something like this? Yes, there are. And and we can address those questions and try to think through them carefully. But there is never a time when Hebrews 10.25 is cut out from your Bible and placed on a shelf. We must always remember the call to not forsake the assembling together of the church. Hebrews 10.25 is true in season and out. Hebrews 10.25 is true under persecution, and it is true when the government is happy with the church. We must gather because the church is essential. And the church's jurisdiction in the spiritual realm is not normed or qualified by Caesar. There are the things that are God's, and those things do not belong to Caesar. What about, though, before I conclude, fire extinguishers and building codes that churches abide by as just one uh, possible question that will arise in response to this presentation? Let me say a few things quickly. First, Churches don't allow worship to be ruled by Caesar. I've made that point already, but again, as a systematician, a theologian, I try to reason from the clear to the less clear, and the clear from Christ and the Word of God is that worship doesn't belong to Caesar. So let that be said. Uh, Having a fire extinguisher in your church building is not the same thing as Caesar telling you what songs to sing or what you may preach or such matters. Your worship is not to be ruled by Caesar. Second, churches do recognize they're in certain communities. We're in communities. We're in a certain place. That's part of the beauty of the church. The church isn't everywhere. It's somewhere. And being in a certain community means for for us as believers that we want to get along with our community, with our authorities, governmental, as much as we can. And so part of that Uh, is going to be, at least at some level, 
interacting with uh, the building codes on offer in our American community, for example. That is not a negative reality. It would be a bad idea, uh, let me illustrate, to build a church building in the middle of a highway. It is right for us, in other words, to recognize we're in a certain community and we do at some level fit into that community and into even the, uh, the governmental outlines of that community. At no point in acknowledging this are we saying Caesar has jurisdiction over the church. Caesar rules the worship of the church. But we are recognizing and are right to recognize that we are in certain communities. And yes, there is a certain shape and flow form that is going to go with that. And we're not scared of that. And we're not hostile to it. That can easily be ramped up and has been ramped up in church history uh, against the church in terms of persecution. So we're always watching Caesar. We've always got an eye open. But we recognize, yes, we're in certain communities, and that's not a negative reality, and we want to get along with that community as much as we can, not in any way compromising or going quiet about the whole counsel of God, but simply trying to be a good neighbor and love our neighbor in fulfillment of the second greatest commandment. Third, and finally, having a fire extinguisher is not the same as Caesar telling you, for example, in recent days, that you are non-essential to society. So if you use the example of church buildings, having a fire extinguisher, I've heard this argument made, and you then say, because churches have accommodated Caesar there, then we really should submit to everything Caesar says to do outside of explicitly sinning, then you will be in a tough place. You are logically in a very difficult position when Caesar classifies the church as non-essential. Caesar hasn't sinned against the church in in the sense that Caesar has called the church to sin against God directly, let's say. Caesar hasn't said Christians must sacrifice goats in worship or something like this. We're very close to Caesar causing the church to sin, but we're, we're, I think, still in some gray territory here. This is where we need to see that we need to understand jurisdiction clearly, and we need to recognize that matters of jurisdiction and submitting to government extend beyond a simple, uh, if, if Caesar tells us to sin, then we don't submit, but everything else is answered and we do to the fullest possible extent. No, if Caesar classes the church as non-essential in a society, but tells people and classes uh, strip clubs and marijuana dispensaries as essential, or even shopping malls as essential, then you need to recognize that you are in jurisdictional territory. What I mean is, to be clearer, Caesar is violating the jurisdiction of the church. Because Christ has said the church is essential. Christ has said worship is essential. Hebrews 10.25 teaches us that we must not forsake the assembling together of the saints. That means that local church gathering is essential. It always is essential. It is the most essential thing on earth. There's nothing that's more important. There's nothing that should norm and mandate and influence and soften that truth. The church is essential. So when Caesar is saying that congregational worship on a weekly basis is non-essential, but strip clubs 
and shopping malls are essential, you need to recognize that this is a jurisdictional violation. The government is telling you how to worship, when to worship, and that you cannot worship. And in conclusion, I've now said that twice. I'm so thankful, for example, that Grace Community Church uh, stayed open last summer over against Caesar's intervention and opposition, fierce opposition. And I'm so glad that just yesterday news was handed down that Grace Community Church has won an $800,000 settlement from the state and all its legal fees are being paid. And uh, Grace Community Church's stand was vindicated in court. What this means is that Grace Community Church, under the leadership of John MacArthur and the elders, fought for the essential nature of the church, even when that was argued against in a time of supposed pandemic. What MacArthur and Grace Community Church in broad form was arguing for is what Kuiper called sphere sovereignty, and we can also call jurisdiction. And this matters tremendously. There are hard questions and gray areas that you and I will face along these lines. But fathers are heads of their home. Citizens have their own home, their own possessions, and by the way, their own body. I talked about that more in past weeks than I did today. Their own body. You have jurisdiction over your body. Government does not have jurisdiction over your body. So you remember that. Elders have authority over their con- congregation. Employers oversee their employees and have authority there. And government has authority, appointed authority, expansive, significant, but bounded authority from God. Remembering these truths and digging deeper into Kuiper's sphere sovereignty, his address, but his broader doctrine, will, I promise, help you greatly in days ahead. Because, my dear friends, it is unlikely that we have seen the last of the challenges in America and beyond to the, the jurisdiction of the church. This is probably a very early battle and a longer war that will be fought. And you need to think this through well. You need to know what scripture teaches. You need to be ready for the challenges that come. If you're a pastor, if you're a team of elders, get this address. Get Kuiper's Lectures in Calvinism. Read it together. Think it through. Talk it over. You're not going to agree with everything, but this is one of the best texts in church history to try to answer these questions well. Also, get the book on the doctrine of the lesser magistrates by Matthew Truella. I believe I'm saying that name right. T-R-E-W-H-E-L-L-A, doctrine of the lesser magistrates. That will help you as well. In conclusion, remember these words. There is much that will be unclear for you in days ahead and for me. But there is clarity that cuts through the chaos nonetheless. Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God, the things that are God's. God bless you. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.